Welcome to On The Mic Podcast. This is your host, Tim Drake. On today's episode, I have actor and comedian Samba Shoot. Samba is best known for his role currently on NBC's show Sunnyside that you can stream on the NBC app as well as Hulu. Also, starting yesterday, you can hear Samba as he does the voice of one of the Wookiees in the new Star Wars game, Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, it was such a great time to be able to sit and chat with Samba. Uh, I've never met Samba before, but I've absolutely loved his role as Hakeem on Sunnyside. And he's just so incredibly funny. And so I reached out to him to see if he'd be interested in coming on the podcast. Now, it turns out we live really close to each other. And yeah, he, he, made, he made his way over here uh, to sit down and chat with me. And yeah, it was really just such a great time. Uh, we talked for about an hour and a half uh, on the episode here. And yeah, it was just a great chat to learn about him. He has such an incredible story. Uh, originally growing up in Ethiopia, making his way up to the Netherlands where he was on the Dutch version of The Daily Show, um, starting his comedy career there. And then, uh, yeah, finally making his way to the States where he basically had to start from scratch. And you'll hear all about that. It is seriously such an incredible story and really just a story of perseverance and, you know, fighting for, you know, what he wanted to make his dreams come true. And, you know, he's, he's done that. He's a series regular on an NBC comedy. And yeah, it's, it's absolutely incredible to hear his story. Uh, yeah, I, I, like I said, I didn't really know anything about him other than he was on a show that I like. And yeah. It was really fun to learn about him. So hope you guys really enjoy this episode. Make sure you go on and follow Samba on all the website links that we'll have up there on his Twitter, his Instagram, Facebook. Uh, yeah, make sure you check him out and be able to follow him and uh, you know see what he's doing with all the behind the scenes on Sunnyside, any of the games. He does a lot of video game voiceover, so you can check all of that out uh, as well. But yeah, it was seriously such a great time um, talking with Samba. Now, as I mentioned, Sunnyside, and we kind of address it in the episode here, uh, but just at, at the top of the episode, I want to bring it up as well. Uh, a lot of media outlets jumped at the uh, at the headline that Sunnyside had been canceled, and that is not the case. Sunnyside was simply removed from live television and put on streaming because their streaming numbers were far better than their live TV numbers. Uh, you know, it's just kind of with the changing times, a lot of people, I you know, kind of cut the cord, going for that 18 to 34 demographic. You know, that's the that's the age group that is streaming everything. And Sunnyside was doing excellent on their streaming numbers. Uh, so NBC decided to move them from live television um, to, to the streaming apps. Like I said, NBC's app uh, will have that, of course, as the Peacock service comes available next year. Um, it'll be on there as well. And uh, Hulu has, has all the episodes uh, that have been released so far. Uh, every Thursday, new episodes release. I believe we have four more. Uh, left this season um, but yeah they, they were not canceled so they were just simply moved to streaming and you know we kind of laugh about it because nobody reported that they were even given an extra episode when a show gets canceled they don't say all right your show's canceled but we're gonna give you more episodes that's not how it works uh, so yeah they were just simply moved to streaming and given an extra episode this season um, and then you know we'll wait to see if the season two uh, reorder comes but like I said, you know, it's it's performed excellent on streaming services. And, you know, that's essentially what saved AP Bio. NBC had originally canceled AP Bio, but it was the number one streaming show. So, you know, they couldn't, you know, just say farewell to that. So, of course, like AP Bio will be uh, the season three, I believe, uh, whenever that does release. I don't think they have a release date on that. That'll be on the Peacock app as that comes out. Um, so, yeah, you know, there, there's a lot of changes. A lot of networks are still trying to kind of figure out what they're doing with streaming. Uh, but Sunnyside is not dead. Uh, it is just streaming. So make sure you guys check that out. NBC.com uh, and their app, uh, as well as Hulu's app. You can watch uh, eight episodes so far uh, that are up there. And again, like I said, I believe it's another four episodes 
uh, that are three three or four episodes that are still uh, still to come. So make sure you guys check that out. Of course, one of our previous guests of the show, Moses Storm, um, is also part of Sunnyside. He's another one of the uh, one of the series regulars on there. Uh, yeah, so so you know you you've heard Moses on the episode. Now you're going to hear Samba. So, I mean, you've got a bunch of the cast that you'll know a little bit about uh, that you can get on there and check out. Hopefully, I'll have more of the cast joining me in coming weeks. Uh, I've sent out a bunch of feelers to them. Uh, I would just love to get people watching this show. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a great show. It's got an important message. And I really hope that everybody, you know, gets a chance to check out Sunnyside um, as well. This episode runs a little long, so I will leave it at that. Thank you again to Samba Shoot for taking the time to come over um, and join me on this episode. Again, it was so great getting to know him. Make sure you pick up Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, Again, Samba plays one of the Wookiees in that, uh, so you can hear him on there as well. I think he just makes Wookiee noises in there, but either way, you can be like, hey, that's Samba. He's the guy from Sunnyside, and he was on the podcast, so check that out uh, as well. Again, thank you, Sam. But hope you guys enjoy this episode. We will see you next week. So I'm I'm thrilled that we were able to set this up, especially so quickly. Yeah. So I mean, usually when you guys are in a show that's currently on the air, all of your time is just like. Well, we wrapped just when we when you reached out. We had wrapped, and yeah. it helps a lot that I live r- literally five minutes away from. Oh, here. really? <laughs> so I was like, "Yeah, let's do this." So yeah, perfect timing. Yeah, it's it's nice living in this little like nook of the neighborhood because everybody lives right here, and so I'll reach out to people, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I can walk over there in like five minutes." Seriously, no, this area is great. When I first moved here, I didn't have a car, so oh, I did yeah. everything by public transport, and people are still surprised that LA has a subway. Some people oh, don't, yeah. don't know that. And I've been using it for three years or, you know, even the bus for like three years. I had no car. So that's all. That's how I was getting yeah. around. Yeah. This, I, I used the subway for the first time during LA Comic Con oh. because I was like, I don't feel like taking an Uber down there every day. And the Clippers, I think, were playing one of the days. And so I was like, it's just going to be surging. And I was like, guess I can take the train. Yeah. Like, I can just go down to that little station on Western. Yeah. And it drops off on like seven. Dollar seventy five, and you're there yeah. within 10, 15 minutes. It's, yeah. It's it so was, much faster. It was perfectly fine. Yeah. I mean, the little bit of me gets into my head where I'm like, earthquake, underground. <laughs> what happened? I'm more creeped out by some of the figures you have on a subway. Oh, yeah. I once took a late subway from North Hollywood to home. It was like the last train out at midnight. Ooh. It was empty, and there was just me and this other homeless guy. And he was just staring at me the whole time. <laughs> and then finally, he just like came and sat next to me and was like, anybody ever tell you you got very kissable lips? <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, please train. Get me home now, please. <laughs> I said, thank you so much. And he was like, you want to go somewhere? I was like, no, I'm, I'm good. I have, I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for the compliment, buddy. He is, he is, he is a nickel. You know, <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> the, the the characters you can meet in Hollywood late at night. I can't remember if I've ever told the story on here. I probably have years ago, but we had it was before I lived out here, and uh, myself and a few other comics were in town. We were uh, here for the Oscars, uh, doing some Oscar press stuff, and we were walking from our hotel up to the Hollywood Bowl at like one in the morning because we had to go up there for a, an after Oscars thing. And as we're walking up, these two guys come around the corner, and they're clearly pimps. Oh. <laughs> like, pimp suit and all. 
and like as we turn, like one of them stops the three of us and it's just like, brother, come have a good time. Oh god. And we were just I just looked at him and I was just like, Nope, we're good. And he's like, No, no, seriously, come on, we got cocaine. And I was just like, That's not what was missing from the transaction here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, only in Hollywood. If you really want to have a fun time, just midnight walk around Hollywood yeah. Boulevard, take the subway, you'll have a you'll have a good time. Yeah. Guaranteed. Make sure your life insurance is up yeah. to date. But. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting place, yeah. to say the least. For sure. I mean, you know, I moved here eight years ago from abroad, and, and, and uh, you know, I grew up in Africa, and all you see are images of Hollywood and mm. the palm trees, Beverly Hills, oh my God, glitz and glamour. I moved here, and I saw all the homeless people. Oh, I yeah. was like, man, there's more homeless people here than back home in <laughs> Africa. Like, what is happening? Um, it was really shocking. Just yeah. uh, your expectations of Hollywood, and then when you actually walk on Hollywood Boulevard, you're like, okay, there's a piece of shit right here on Michael right. Jackson's star. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to take a photo. I can't now. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That and like, I mean, I think New York at least at least gets the reputation that it's fairly dirty. Yeah. The, the first time I ever took my wife to New York, we'd walked out of our hotel, and she's like, "That looks like a piece of shit," and I was like, "That is a piece of shit." <laughs> Welcome to New York, yeah. baby. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I every every time like when I first moved here and I was driving Uber, like tourists would be like, "It's different," and I'm like, "Yeah, it's it's called movie magic." It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They they hose the street down before they film on they it. They do. <laughs> they do. And even I, on the lots, yeah, they hose it down. Before they do. Filming. <laughs> so this was the first time I was on a series regular, a uh, series regular on a TV show, and I saw all the tricks they use. So like when we do night scenes, they hose down the streets mm-hmm. to make it look all clean and glitz and everything. Everything's built up in the studios. It's just nothing's real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is real, guys. <laughs> does it does it throw you off now having worked though for a little bit and like you'll see a commercial or something, you're like, That's universal, that's paramount. <laughs> yeah, you recognize things. You recognize actors, you yeah. know, like you're like, Hey, that was the bartender in that show. Yeah. <laughs> uh and you recognize like backgrounds and mm. backdrops. You're like, Hey, they're using the same, you right. know, the sunset or whatever, the same bridge or you know, you, you notice different mm-hmm. things. Yeah, for sure. There, there's one that's been airing lately that they clearly shot uh, on the Universal backlot. And it's in that section. It's a col- it's meant to be like a colonial commercial, but it's modernized. It's a car commercial, mm. and they used one of the backdrops that I think it's like kind of the old Victorian square mm. in the back in the back yeah. lot. But if you don't light it right, it looks very much like that's just a painted that's wall. A, yeah, exactly. And there's one shot in the commercial where it's like my wife and I are watching, and we're like, oh, yeah, there's Universal. And then all of a sudden they cut to like one of the angles. I was like, that's not lit properly. I know. That's That's a a painted wall. That's a poster right there. (laughs) Someone's getting fired. No, it's amazing. I mean, it was fascinating, obviously, working on the Universal lot and seeing like the little place where they shoot the good place, you know, oh, like, yeah. like the little, little, little Italy, is little, it? Italy, little Europe. Yeah. And then the little Mexican town they mm-hmm. have where that they flood over. And then where the clock tower was from back to the future, right. New York, fake New York city. Like all those things are just fun to be around and be able to yeah. walk around. Like we'd walk around, you know, and see what the tourists see for free, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so walking cool. up to see the good place is just like, it's, it's a complete mind fuck in a way. And it's mm-hmm. like, I mean, you're watching a show about people in the afterlife. You know it's not real. Yeah. And then you still, like, they've made that show so magical that to walk onto that set and to, like, go up to the little train station, it really is kind of weird. It's, to- it's magical. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like yeah, it's a little village, but at the same time, you walk into one of those doors, and it's like nothing is behind yeah. that door. Yeah, it's oh, just it, a facade. It <laughs> is. It's all, it's all from the outside. So it's fascinating how they can cheat things on TV. Yeah. Did you guys shoot much of the exteriors of Sunnyside there, or have you guys been using downtown LA for a long time? So, for the pilot, we shot uh, at a bar downtown. I think it's called Monty's. 
Okay. And yeah. uh, they recreated that on the studio. Uh, hmm. So they rebuilt the bar exactly how it looked like, almost exactly, basically. And it was fascinating to me at, at the level of detail that right. they had. So it looked so realistic. So we didn't have to film downtown anymore. We could just film on the studio, which saves a lot of time and money. And then we shot in an apartment in Koreatown, and they reconstructed that exact same apartment oh, wow. also on the studio lot. So it's fascinating to me how they can just see something and be like, oh, we're going to recreate that and make yeah. it our own. And, and, and the detail, the attention to detail was fascinating. So most of our scenes were interior. Um, whenever we had to do some exteriors, we did actually go downtown to film a few scenes. Like there was one big scene in uh, the finale or the episode before the finale where um, Garrett, paid, played by Cal Penn, um, you know, he's arrested in the pilot because yeah. he threw up on the BQE yeah, bridge. It's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> on a cop car. And so he goes back to visit that bridge. And so uh, he has a huge spe- speech to give everybody. And there's all these cop cars. There's like 100 extras. There's like... 50, 50 like uh, police vehicles all around him and we shot that downtown and it was just fascinating to be outside and see how they do that you know yeah and there was a, a helicopter that's supposed to be like the tv channel and it was just it was pretty fascinating to yeah and, and, to, and to pass it off as queens <laughs> yeah exactly i mean new yorkers are watching going yeah. that's not sunny side what are you talking about uh <laughs> but but there are some some pockets in la that if you film very carefully you it could looks, you you yeah, wouldn't know if it was, yeah you wouldn't know if it's New York or downtown yeah. yeah there's there's plenty of times I've walked around downtown and I'm just like this does not feel like no. Los Angeles it no. totally feels like you're in New York City yeah, absolutely absolutely and that's the that's the fascinating thing of being able to film shows here it's just you can you can cheat some different areas too yeah. there's there's those mountains in uh, the Santa Monica Mountains yeah if I wanted to make a film about Africa I just go and film there because they look like the hills that you have in Ethiopia or whatever so there's there's a lot you can cheat out here yeah. I think that's the beauty of L A. Yeah, it it really like there's a there's a thing I'm going to be working on this uh, coming year, and we needed like old western, and we're like we're we're shooting for the stars, and like hey Universal, yeah, can we, can we use the back lot? But then we're also like we started looking around, and we're like there's so many just like random abandoned things yeah. throughout Southern California. That, yeah, little yeah, towns they pass that off as just like yeah the old west yeah, exactly <laughs> like there's a horse and a cart right there someone's riding that horse um no absolutely there's a ranch up north uh santa clarita around there where it's abandoned basically yeah. and can just drive around and all these old houses and stuff mm-hmm. that just make it look like whatever it's a western movie now yeah. Yeah, people do photo shoots there like models and everything you know instagram models but you can easily just cheat it for like yeah travel back to the past yeah yeah it, it's crazy what what passes is what here and yeah, I, I I always love to when when there would be tours and they would they'd be like, oh no, I, I want to see all the stops from Pretty Woman, and I and I would show them like over on Las Palmas where the apartment was, and they're like, oh, this is it, and I'm like, yeah, that's yeah, this is pretty, it, this is Pretty Woman apartment, and if you, if you remember the episode of Seinfeld when Kramer moves here, uh, that's his apartment too. Oh my god! And you you watch it just start to kind of break down on their face, like none of it's real. No, this is. <laughs> exactly and, yeah having to take having to soak it all in yeah like, i mean it's yeah, fascinating it's, it is because you know when when i found out that they shot friends here on, yeah on the warner, yeah, on the warner lot you know central perks is just uh a, a, a studio setup yeah it's not a real thing or it's not in new york that that blew my mind i was like oh my god they can do that they, right so yeah it's it's i love that one of my friend's moms had come back from new york she was so excited to be like yeah we went on the friends tour we saw the fountain and we were like oh <sighs> You oh. didn't. We're like it's at the Warner Brothers Ranch. Oh, it's uh, no. we're like you can go up Hollywood Way and 
If you peek through the gate, you, can you see might it. see the fountain. <laughs> oh, heartbreak! And, and she was just like, "Really?" And I'm like, "Have you never noticed that behind them are just flat buildings with the light?" <laughs> yeah. It's like, posters. did you see that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's yeah. It. We we felt so bad having to break through. You didn't see the fountain. It, I know it takes away the magic. It's but... like they shoot an exterior shot and cut to the inside. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. We do the same for Sunnyside. Yeah. We do. They they actually go to New York mm-hmm. to film the exteriors, which yeah. is great. So we keep that authenticity. But because it was just practical to film the interiors here, we just did interiors. Because no one would know an interior from right. New York or downtown. But at least the exteriors, um, the establishing shots, et cetera, they all filmed in New York. So we kept it yeah. authentic that way. But yeah, most of it is interior. So you can film anywhere. Yeah, it, it, it makes it, it makes it quite nice to be, just be able to change a big empty warehouse, essentially, into... That was what, that's exactly what those studios are. Yeah. They're just a huge empty high ceiling warehouse and they build whatever they want to build in there and it's it's fascinating yeah, yeah. just to walk in there and and see what they've created it, it takes hundreds of people to make a tv show um and i really appreciated that that just experiencing that and seeing that you know with this with sunnyside and now, now sunnyside was kind of your that was, that was kind of your first big series first big series in america yeah, because yeah, um, I had worked in Holland before I moved to LA. Uh, um, yeah, before I moved to LA, I was I was uh, studying and working in Holland. That's where I launched my comedy career, my acting career. And so in Holland, I did a few films, and I was on the Dutch version of the Daily Show with John Stewart. Oh, really? They did the Dutch version, so I was one of the correspondents and writers for that. Oh, that's incredible! Um, I don't think I so knew that. No, not I mean you know Dutch humor doesn't really <laughs> translate <laughs> to anything in the in the world really. Um, so it was for two seasons, and it got ca- it got canceled after two seasons because Holland is a very small country, and there's not much news that happens in a very a country where everything is legal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not much exciting stuff happens because yeah. everything's legal. So after a while, we ran out of things to talk about. You know, it's not like in America where you have 55 news channels and there's so many crazy figures all over the spectrum. Right. Um, While know, we are it, talking, it, literally a million things are going to happen at, that are newsworthy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, but seriously. So there's a lot to talk about. So that's why shows like that do better over here than in a small country where, hey, it's legal to smoke weed and <laughs> prostitution is legal and, you know, euthanasia is legal, all those kind of things. Yeah. It's like there's nothing to talk about. It's just yeah, everything's fine. <laughs> a cow gave birth today, I think. There's a new kind of cheese. Enjoy it. <laughs> you know, that's all. So, you know, that was my bigger TV credit in, in Holland and also just my comedy career there because I did three comedy specials there. And when I moved to L.A., I had to start from scratch. Right. You know, my credits abroad did not matter. People are like, what did you do? Oh, I was a correspondent for the Dutch Daily Show. I had three comedy specials. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you do in America? Because that's what matters. So I had to start from scratch here. So um, it was a bit of a complicated story because I moved here on a visa called the O-1 visa, which is a visa, literally the name of the visa is alien of extraordinary ability (laughs) that's the real name of a visa like some guy came up with it at immigration it's like alien of extraordinary ability it sounds like i'm an i belong in the x-men universe or something like that you know i expect it to meet well they've been rebooting men in black (laughs) (laughs) i know right i really wanted to meet professor xavier at lax but um basically that's a visa that they give to um, athletes or people who've excelled in their field back home so uh, i excelled in acting and comedy so i got that visa to come here and um, when you're here, it's a legal visa. You can work, you know, as an actor and as a comedian. But when I started auditioning for TV shows, I had booked a few co-stars. And then, like, NBC and other studios were like, oh, we don't take actors that don't have a green card. You need to be mm. a permanent resident. Uh, this visa was a temporary visa for, like, three or five years. They're like, no, we need a permanent 
resident. We is that for like taxes or something? No, nothing at all. It's That's just weird. because in case you do well and you're in the country and we oh we they don't, don't want you to get we don't board. lose you after three years. <laughs> but I mean for a co-star. You know, so I was like so confused. I was so bummed out because twice I had booked a co-star and then they're like, no, only green cards. So I couldn't get my uh, TV career going. So I had to wait uh, until I got my green card five years later. Oh, my God. That is so frustrating. Yes. And finally, when I got my green card, I was able to audition for TV again and, you know, booked a few things. And finally, Sunnyside came this year. So that was my first big TV gig, series regular gig. But I had to wait eight years to oh, get geez. that uh, fair chance to participate. <laughs> so what what were you doing kind of in the meantime to just kind of kill time and oh, keep man. your keep yourself sane in a way? I mean, Absolutely. I would go I would go bonkers having to just be like, "Oh my god, like I already have this career and I'm just pulling the emergency break right now." Seriously, it felt it felt like torture because you work so hard. Like I worked so hard back home, so I had this career, I had this momentum going, and you come here full of confidence. You know, you finally get a visa, which is really hard to get to yeah. move to America. There's ten criteria. You have to qualify for seven. Wait, you're telling me you just can't come across the border and just reap benefits of this country? No, that's not true. No, it's harder. <laughs> it's much harder than you think, guys. It's very, really hard. They they gather everything. They gather all your information, your dad's information, your mom's information. There's no one who comes into this country that they don't know about um unless you know for example people cross illegally without knowing but i mean if you want to work here legally there's no way they don't vet you first. yeah so um i i came here and i couldn't work in tv so what i did was i just tried to continue my stand-up comedy career um so i went to the comedy store and i i took i took part in a competition it was like it was called march madness and it was like 64 comedians participate, oh, yeah, yeah. and you go one-on-one and finally, you whittle down till the till the last winner. So I won that. Oh, that's um, awesome! Yeah, it was in April 2011 when I moved here. And so Tommy, the talent manager at the time at the comedy store, saw me performing. He's like, "Hey, dude, uh, you're really good. Do you want to perform here every week?" I was like, "Oh, fuck yes! I want to perform here every <laughs> week. Are you kidding me? The comedy store is where my my heroes t- yeah. started. You know, Robin Williams, Jim Carrey, Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor. Like, uh, you know, they all developed their careers there." Um, so I got to perform every week at the comedy store in a what was called a talent development spot. So that's how I was gaining momentum and growing my wings. And in the meantime, I could audition for commercials and I could audition for uh, web series and indie mm-hmm. films. So I did a bunch of you know web series, student films, indie films. A few of them won a few awards, and I started gaining momentum when I booked a, a commercial that went viral on YouTube. It was for a video game called um, uh, Watch Watch Dogs. Okay. Watch Dogs, yeah. Um, and, and the video is on YouTube still. It's called uh, Amazing Street Hack. Basically, it's like I, I play an Indian salesman who uh, sells an app on a phone, and you can hack into anything, like street lamps, ATMs, um, cars. And so it was this gigantic prank that we shot downtown, and we literally like s- closed off the street and everything was rigged, and there was act- like hundreds of actors to play background. And I'd just walk around with these people hacking into things, you know. <laughs> and it, w- it would cause a car crash eventually, and then the cops would show up. So it was like a massive thing. Um, and that got 21 million views on YouTube, and that kind of started propelling me a little bit, getting yeah. a bit of buzz behind me. But still, I could not do anything TV-related because no green card. So I started to have to make money by having jobs on the side. My first job was as a palm reader. <laughs> 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 yep. I'm not even joking, man. I'm not even joking. 
I knew a bit of palm reading, and there was a spiritual shop on Hillhurst. It's still there. It's called Liberate Emporium. And um, they sell crystals and stuff like that. So I walked in one day, and then the, the owner was there. And I was like, oh, what do you do? And she's like, oh, I heal. You know, I do this. And how about you? I was like, well, I can palm read. So she's like, try me. So I, I read her palm, and apparently it was good enough. And she was like, well, you want to work here? I was like, heck, yeah, I'll work here. Sure, why not? So for 50 bucks, like for half an hour, I'd read people's palms for like a year. Um, but I was like, nah, you know, it didn't feel right. I didn't want to make money off people's hopes and dreams. Right. <laughs> So uh, I eventually just got another part-time job, which was um, translating Dutch subtitles for Netflix. Oh, that's awesome. So I, w- I could work from home, watch a bunch of Netflix shows, check the subtitles, make sure they were okay, you know, quality control, basically. And that brought in some money. In the meantime, just trying to stay sane and do my comedy and uh, just earn money with commercials if I could or indie films or student films. And then finally, when I was able to apply for my green card um i applied for my green card and for that you're supposed to uh, qualify for three out of ten criteria i qualified for nine out of ten <laughs> criteria so i was like i'm in this like, like i'm I, doing the i fucking qualify work. <laughs> for this green card and they're like yeah my lawyer was like yo nine out of ten dude this is gonna be so quick you're you're in baby and they send the file to this immigration officer in texas and it just sat there for two years. Oh, my God. He did not look at it. He did not touch it. And we'd call and be like, why? You know, say nine out of the ten criteria was wrong. And he's like, no, I got enough work on my desk. You guys just have to wait. So for two years, I was waiting for my green card to come through. So I was stuck between my temporary visa, which had expired, and waiting for my green card to come through. So I was in this kind of limbo immigration state where I could still work, but I didn't know what my future was going right. to be. I could still perform at the comedy store. That was still going great, my comedy career. But then I got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called vitiligo. Uh, it's a disease where you start to lose your skin color. Oh, jeez. And so I was turning white, uh, literally turning white around my face, my eyes, my fingers. And the doctors said it's because my adrenal glands were overactive because of comedy, because um, I was touring a lot, mm-hmm. um, and I went to do... Uh, 70 shows of a new comedy special in Holland in the meantime just to kind of keep my career there alive, make a bit of money. So apparently I was working too hard as a comedian and so my body was attacking itself. So the doctor's like, you have to stop doing comedy if you want to hear. So that was like the deepest, like deepest point of darkness, (laughs) you know, because I could not do what I loved, which was making people laugh. I could not do comedy and growing my career. I could not go anywhere because I had this v- weird temporary visa situation and I could not work uh, in TV and film because I did not have my green card. So I was literally stuck. Like so, like the whole universe just like, hey, Samba, fuck <laughs> yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, Samba, hey, you're a good guy. Here's a gift for you. Just <laughs> nothing. Uh, so I was, I did not know what was going to happen. I did not know what I was going to do. Um, they told me there was no cure like for vitiligo. But I found this book uh, by this Chinese guy who healed himself. Like, he managed to reverse it. So I, uh, it's called My Victory Against Vitiligo. So I, I read it, and uh, I tried it with a few of the things he suggested. Just like, you know what, this is, this is what I have the power to do right now is just to try and heal myself. Um, so I did that, took a few steps, and three months later, I started noticing some of the pigmentation starting to come back. So I kept doing, like, the diet changes and all that kind of stuff, vitamins, green spinach smoothies, and you name it. Um... And I started to heal. And uh, after two years, finally, like more, my color came back. 
and my green card came through. Um, and what was also worse was that I had met uh, my then-to-be wife here, uh, and we were dating, but I could not marry her until my green mm. card came through because otherwise immigration was, was going to say you married for the green card. While you're applying for a green card, we don't trust this marriage. You're deported. Jeez. You know, so everything was just kind of like, wait for this green card to come through because yeah. that's when things are going to happen. Um, so for for two years, stuck in limbo, trying to work it out, you know, make what money I could translating and doing quality control. Um, how, how was the family of your fiance feeling? You're like, seriously, I just have to wait for the green card. <laughs> you know, but seriously, <laughs> I mean, she knew. She knew, too. Like, my wife was like, okay, no, I, I, you know, it's okay. We'll wait for your green card because, hey, I'd rather marry two years later than have you be yeah. deported <laughs> right <laughs> you know so it was a very understandable situation um but lo and behold uh my green card came through as i was healing my vitiligo and finally i could uh start auditioning for tv and film and i booked my first uh indie film f- feature film role that uh, went into movie theaters and it's on netflix it's called the tiger hunter it's what got me my sag card because finally i could do sag work you know the union the actors mm-hmm. union and uh, managed to get a new manager, and that helped me get auditions for pilot season finally because I had a green card. Now I could walk into those auditions yeah. and be like, yo, I'm sitting down and I'm doing this audition because <laughs> I waited six years, you seven years for this. Around your neck. I do, just like <laughs> green card bitch, uh, you know, on my t shirt. Um, so finally I was able to audition and uh, got close a few times, but really last pilot season um, was when the audition for Sunnyside came through and uh, it was just a perfect role and it was just perfect timing. And I mean, I'll tell you all about the audition process if you want, but that Absolutely. was, that was just, it, that's, that was just a gift from the universe. Be like, okay, here you go. You suffered for eight years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we owe you something. And that was nice to experience. It, I mean, it, it's, it's very humbling for me to have to hear. Cause it's like, I'm, I'm in my own limbo hmm. right now with certain things, but it's like, I'm not going through anything like that. So <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no, if, every, if anyone's going through anything, I mean, I think what I've learned, and this is in hindsight, trust me, when I was in it, I was like, fuck you universe. But when in hindsight, I was like, you know, I have to trust that everything happens for a reason. Um, I have to trust that, uh, because of that experience, I'm a stronger person. I'm a healthier person. And, um, I I developed very s- tough skin and patience, uh, and and I think that's a that's a good skill to have these days. Yeah. But uh, in hindsight, yeah, it was a very very small blessing in disguise, but it was it was it was worth the wait. I think. Yeah, yeah. If if there's one thing that I think that this industry has taught me so far, hmm. and I would always hear about it on podcasts of people talking about no, like it's going to beat you up, and if you can survive it then that's where things are just going to like right launch and so it's like for me like once i had moved here and like right off the bat it was like okay cool like i got something good and then within a few months it was gone and it was just like oh and like the carpet pulled out from under me and Mm. having to like kind of panic a little (laughs) yeah and like still kind of like wade wade through just like the murky shit and have to figure it out instead like i've spent the last like year just like okay i need to know anything and everything about the business business right 
Be- and and it's just like, yeah, when you're just stuck, like, what do I? Yeah. What do I do? And there's no blueprint. There's no, there's <laughs> like, no. It's just like you, you, hear, you get to figure this you out. You do. I mean, you hear <laughs> you hear stories of people like I was about to give up my career, and all of a sudden I got that one audition. Yeah. And there's something to that. I think L.A. is a huge mirror. And if anything, it it just makes you take a deeper look at yourself. It absolutely. And, 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 and I mean, that's a good thing, too. It's yeah. like it really makes you look at yourself, really makes you ask, why am I here? Is this worth it? Is there anything else I can do that will make my life easier? Or is this what I really want? Mm-hmm. And I think when you go through that spiral of, no, you know, I'm giving it everything I can because this is what I really believe in. Like before the Sunnyside audition, I was like, what do I have the power to do? I have the power to um, put my best material of stand-up comedy on tape. You know, that's what I have the power to do. I'll do that, put that out there. Uh, and in the meantime, you know, uh, I've survived that whole ordeal with the vitiligo, the green card, and all that. Um, I can, I have the s- skin that's tough enough to to see me through whatever lull, mm-hmm. lull period is happening right now. You just have to face it, I think, yeah. as much as possible. And as hard as it is, just really face yourself, and uh, that's what the city does for you. Yeah, it. it the, the way I've described it a few times on here is: this city likes to rip you out of your skin, yeah. and then be like, "Get back into your meat suit. Good luck." <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if you can figure your way back into the meat suit, yeah. like good things await. But yeah, yeah. It, it really is. It's it's a time of self discovery. Like you have mm-hmm. to be able to kind of just buckle down and and say, "Okay, this is what it's giving me. What am I learning from this? Yeah. How am I?" How am I going to take what's happening? Yeah, because I I think I think we, when you get bitter about it and when you when you choose to go down the yeah you know for a lack of better phrasing when you choose the dark side yeah yeah no seriously yeah <laughs> like it's uh it it definitely doesn't help your career you no. just kind of have to be like yep shit happens there's a billion people trying to do this yeah. too and. Yeah. You just kind of have to roll with the punches. You do, you do. And I mean, at the end of the day, you'll be better for it because it'll make you a tougher person, a stronger person, more confident yeah. person in yourself. Um, and You'll that, be ready for it when it does happen. Absolutely. And I, I really believe that. I really believe that. It's like, just sit it through. You do the best you can with what you have and, and do what you have the power to do within yourself. And, and yeah, you know, there's a lot of people, it's really sad when I've seen friends give up and move back mm. home. Yeah. That's really hard. Because you're like, oh man, just just hang in there, you know. But they yeah. they have to make a living, and you know, respect to them. They have to they have other priorities. But just sit through and sit tight, and and this city will somehow reward you, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one way or another. And I think what's really important is to find a way to make it, call it home. Yeah. Because for a long time it was, oh, LA is just temporary, or LA is just this place I'm visiting, or LA is just this thing I'm doing. But once I was able to settle in and be like, no, this is home, mm-hmm. and find the things that make home fun yeah outside of acting you know what what do you like about the city for me it's food (laughs) (laughs) i love food and i love how diverse the food is here um once you find that then there's less of that yes there's a financial worry of what's my career doing blah 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 but at the same time it's like no but this is home and i i actually love this city yeah i think that change in mentality somehow helps no, it it definitely does because there's been plenty of actors and uh, comedians and stuff who I've met who are just like, man, fucking L.A. And I'm just like, nah. If you if you open up and embrace the city, it's like, yeah. Is there shit about this city? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is there shit about any city? One hundred percent. But when you look at all this city really has to offer, mm. 
and everything that you can gain and even just enjoy like you said i mean the food here i mean especially in this little corner i mean yeah. we're a block from Thai town we've got oh, man you know just up on hillhurst alone yeah, there's all those cafes yeah, there's our so little armenia's here just a bit south there's korea town yeah. with korean barbecue and then oh it's just it's just fat. yeah i love it yeah i can't drive down like wilshire and mm. like korea town area with my wife because then she's just like, there's that place we need to try, and then there's that place we need to try. <laughs> and we're is. just like, I'm glad you're not documenting this, no. because we don't make enough to try all these places. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> but there are. There's amazing places, and it's just that's a good thing. So that's what I found about loving L.A., and I think that really helped me out. Yeah. Yeah. And like people all the time are like, oh, the traffic there. And I'm just like, the traffic is so overrated in my eyes. <laughs> It's like, yeah, are there times of day that it absolutely sucks to be on the road? Yep. Mm-hmm. When you look at everything else that we have, yeah, if I have to wait in traffic for a little bit. <laughs> I can manage I that. I can manage Put that. on a podcast, <laughs> put the AC on, enjoy yourself. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't even phase me half the <laughs> no, time. No. Yeah, I, I, and that's exactly what what I do. I yeah. put on a podcast and I'm just like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, like use I, the opportunity <laughs> to, to learn something from a podcast or whatever, you know, just uh, yeah. ma- make it make it worth your while. So now to kind of go back a little. So, yeah. so you grew up in Africa. Yes. So w- which country again? Uh, so my dad is Dutch, okay. uh, but my mother is from a country called Mauritania, which is in West Africa okay. in the Sahara Desert. So my mom and dad met there, and that's where I was born. Um, they had me, and then when I was two, because of my dad's work, uh, we all moved to Ethiopia, which is on the other side of Africa. And a lot of people hear about Ethiopia from the commercials, you know, the, yeah. the flies and, <laughs> and the sad, sad music yeah. <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And yes, there was a famine in the 80s, but the country is fascinating. It's so beautiful and lush, actually, and green. And so I grew up there for till I was 18, mm-hmm. so 16 years of my life. So to me, Ethiopia is home. Um, and I went to an international school there, grew up there, had my first everything there. So for me, that's like home. And when I was 18, I graduated high school. I wanted to study theater. I knew I wanted to do, I wanted to act. Um, But there was no opportunity to do that in Africa. So I moved to Holland to study there at a a university. And I studied, I got my BA in theater. And at the same time, I started my stand-up comedy career by accident. Uh, There was an open mic and I wanted to do a funny monologue as an actor. And I wrote, five-minute monologue and I went on stage and all they had was a microphone so I had my microphone and my monologue and it ended up being stand-up comedy somehow <laughs> <laughs> and so people are like you're a stand-up comic I was like okay I guess so <laughs> so that's where it actually started when I was 18 you took the one picture from that night put <laughs> yeah. it on your profile yeah. on Facebook and you're like I'm a stand-up I'm a stand-up now. guys <laughs> book me so uh, 18 years ago I started a stand-up comedy and um, yeah it's been it's been quite a journey but yeah Ethiopia is home that's where I grew up so and and so, how long did you spend in Holland then? Mm. Uh, after after leaving, and did you get to go back to Ethiopia much during that? No. Time? So uh, after I moved from Ethiopia, my family moved to another country because my dad had to work. So he moved okay. like, to Zambia and Eritrea and Chad. So I only I haven't visited Ethiopia since two thousand two, um, and I miss it because I mean you know obviously it's home. But luckily there's little Ethiopia here in Los yeah. Angeles, so I get to eat my Ethiopian food. I was go- I was going to ask. <laughs> I was, was going to be a <laughs> yeah. follow up question. Oh, was, no. How 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 comparable it's, it's is it? It's pretty damn good. It's pretty damn close. I mean, obviously, the the spices and everything are always way better yeah. back home because they're fresher, but they are really good over here. So it depends what you're into, but there's some great restaurants on Little Ethiopia, and that's my thing. I go to at least once a month just to have my Ethiopian uh, And that's craving. like, what, Fairfax and, Fairfax and, and o- Wilshire? Olympic. About? Yeah, Olympic, Fairfax yeah. and Olympic. This That whole Fairfax and Olympic street is all 
Ethiopian restaurants and you can just smell it, roll down your window and you'll <laughs> smell the herbs. Um, so no, Ethiopia is home, but I haven't been back since 2002. Luckily, uh, my friends from there are also in America, a bunch of them. So we get to see each other that way. But yeah, I moved to Holland to study theater and I got my BA in theater, started my stand-up comedy career. And uh, I won, I took place a uh, part in an award show, like the biggest national award competition in Holland for comedy. And I won that. And um, that's what really launched my comedy career in Holland. So following that award, I did two stand-up comedy specials and started acting and everything. But then I always knew I wanted to live or work in America. I always knew I wanted to work in English because Dutch is a very hard language. I had to learn it when I moved to Holland. And it's, it's, it's so difficult to write jokes in Dutch. So basically, Dutch is my fourth language. I speak, oh, wow. I speak English and French at home. I speak Ethiopian, I'm Herrick, because I grew up in Ethiopia. And when I moved to Holland and I had to study there and I had to do stand-up comedy there, they're like, if you want to have a career here, you have to learn Dutch. And just to give you an example, good morning is Goeiemorgen. <laughs> oh, How are you? <laughs> good. Goed. So that alone in the morning when you're greeting somebody gets your, you know, phlegm out of your yeah. throat from the from the night before so it's a really tough language and to write jokes in your fourth language is very very difficult because i basically had to write it in english which is my first language and then translate it to dutch so it was hard work i was working four or five times harder than the average dutch comedian but it helped a lot that i won this award so my comedy career launched but i really wanted to work in english because that's my first language jokes come easier to me in english so i knew i wanted to move to america so i lived in holland for 10 years and then the opportunity came to apply for this visa, the alien of extraordinary ability to be able to move to America. So what I did was I visited L.A. and uh, there was a showcase uh, for agents and managers. So I was like, hey, I want to take part in this showcase. Let's see if I can get an agent. So basically they wanted to see a monologue of five minutes. So I wrote a monologue about who I am, where I come from. I performed it for these 20 agents. Seven of them wanted a meeting. So I met with them and then... Uh, they wanted to sign me, but they're like, first you have to move to L.A. But in order to move to L.A., I had to have one of the agents <laughs> sponsor me. Be like, hey, yeah, this guy's going to be my client. And only one agent wanted to sponsor me. Uh, and that's I still have that agent. He's still my commercial agent. So I had my agent who, wa who wanted to sponsor me. Great. So I had my ticket to apply for this visa to move here. And that took nine months. And I got this visa. I was so excited to finally move to L.A. And then the whole thing about studios yeah, not even hiring people on that visa. So that that says a lot, though, for for your agent because it's it's something that I know I've discussed with others before in here. But when it comes to finding representation, mm -hmm. yeah, there's these guys sometimes out there with with these big agencies, whether it's William Morris or CAA yeah. or where they're like, oh wow, this person's they, they just look at you as a walking dollar sign. Yeah, like it, it's that's all that so many of us are to them. Yeah. But when you have an agent that's, you know, willing to put their kind of neck on the line to be like, no, I want, you know, this actor and comedian. Yeah. They're, you know, they're willing to go out and sponsor you. Yeah. That says a lot about the relationship that that agent has with their clients. It and does. That, that yeah. speaks volumes. So, I mean, I'm thrilled to hear that you're still with them because yeah. clearly that's somebody who. They took a chance on me. They're in your corner. Yeah, they like, took a chance on me from the get-go. And uh, it's very rare now that I've lived here. I see how rare that is. Um, because, yeah, most agents see you as money, which is obvious because yeah. that's how they make their yeah, living. Yeah, that, that's their business. That's their <laughs> business, literally their business. <laughs> You're money. I like you. But he saw my potential, I think, and especially because of my look, I knew that he could send me out as 
African, but also, well, no, not African, because <laughs> I'll tell you that story in a second. <laughs> As Indian, Indian, Middle Eastern, sometimes Latino, sometimes just mixed ethnic race. Um, when I do go out for African, uh, they say I'm not African enough. Because for the longest time, Hollywood just had one image of Africa, and that was just everyone's as dark as right. Idris Elba or Jimon Honsu, and they're just black Africans who speak a certain way. Hotel Rwanda, you know, last king of Scotland, Forest Whitaker, doing <laughs> the... Only when Wakanda finally appeared in the picture did they see, oh, wait, Africa is actually a, a, a different, uh, like a whole race of, a, a whole continent of different races. Yeah. People don't all look, just look like one race. I was like, it took a Marvel comic book movie <laughs> for Hollywood to be like, no, Africans can look different. Right. And after that movie came out, there was a shift in casting Africans because they were not only open to Africans that looked different or had different kind of skin tones or different accents, but also just way more uh, open to authenticity. And so um, after Black Panther came out, you know, and I got this audition for Sunnyside, the role was originally for a Somalian taxi driver uh doctor back home but works as a cab driver here and i walked into the audition room and allison jones was casting the 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 pilot the legendary the allison legendary jones. <laughs> allison jones who i ne- who i'd never met who i'd always wanted to audition yeah. for so i was super nervous but when i found out that she cast fresh prince of bel-air and you know all these uh, golden girls even yeah the only reason i know those shows is because in ethiopia we had one tv channel and on Saturdays, they'd air Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or, or Golden Girls. <laughs> so I walked into the room and I told Allison Jones, I'm like, hey, I'm a huge fan. I've been watching your work since I was a kid in Ethiopia. She's like, what? Okay, I want to hear your story. Wait, what, what? So she's like, let's do the audition first. So I did the audition. And then after that, she just kept me in the room for 15 minutes just to wrap her head around my story. And once she found out I was Ethiopian, she's like, okay, great. I think the producers are going to love your story. So you, you, we're calling you back next week for the callback. Great. So I got to <laughs> That's always nice to leave an audition with. You're getting a call back. That is the best <laughs> feeling ever. Instead of leaving, like I've had millions of times and you just don't know how you did. Yeah. No feedback, no thank you, no goodbye. But she was so, um, so giving, so sweet, so nice to listen to my story. And at the end of the day, they made the character Ethiopian because they wanted to keep it as authentic mm-hmm. as possible. Because they're like, wait, Ethiopians don't look like Somalians fully. They don't look like people from Wakanda. <laughs> they don't look like the West African Jimon Honsu, Nigerian kind of type. They look like me. Um, so uh, it was an honor to be able to play and portray the very first Ethiopian character on an American sitcom because those guys took a chance on authenticity. Yeah. Um, and so, so I think my agent, when he signed me, he saw the potential of that. He saw the potential of I could play different roles and characters, but somehow, somewhere, I think it's going to open doors for this look. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad you took a chance, and yeah. it, it paid off. <laughs> yeah, and and I do love that that came from a Marvel movie, in a, in a sense, because <laughs> know, of the fact seriously. that you know there's some directors out there that think that they're just a theme park ride, yeah, and they don't do shit and no mean anything for no anybody. Names. <laughs> <laughs> no names, Mister. Irishman, that <laughs> movie coming out on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not like those mobster movies are doing much for uh, for anybody's uh, diversity. <laughs> I know, seriously, seriously. Ugh. But no, that, that's that's incredible that mm. you know that kind of that helped open the door for people to. It did. I think be able to look much, at you and be like, oh, people got much more respect for Africa after that yeah. movie. After all the movies, because every African movie before that was Captain Phillips, you know. 
terrorist. Yeah. Or this Congo thing, a terrorist, Hotel Rwanda, a terrorist, you know, all these militia people going to chop off your arms and child soldiers. And mm-hmm. There was never a movie where Africans were really the hero hero. I mean, Jimon Honsu in Gladiator was kind of a little bit of a hero character. Yeah. And that's about it. So when when uh, Black Panther came through, uh, people got much more of a, like, a kind of respect for African culture and heritage. And I think when they saw how much money it made, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is a big motivating factor for any producer, uh, that's when they went, wait a minute, diversity sells, diversity is good, people love authenticity, let's make money off that. And so yeah. I think they suddenly stun- started being more open to authentic, diverse actors. Yeah, and it, that, that movie too was, it, it, it said a lot to me too about African culture. Hmm. Uh, when I went, because I went, uh, to an opening night just over at the arc light and it was the most beautiful sight that i have ever seen <laughs> because there were so many different cultures there but they were all dressed in like is it and you can correct me if i'm wrong is it a dashiki a dashiki yeah, yeah yeah there were so many of them were dressed in just colorful dashikis yeah and it was just so incredible and i would say probably in my theater there was 90% mm. uh, African-Americans in wow. the theater. Yeah. And it was so incredible to sit in that theater. And I, I, I kind of felt for uh, Martin Freeman because <laughs> it was it was very funny during the end credits. Everybody was cheering really loud for each. And yeah. then like his name came up and it was like Crickets. dead silence. Oh. <laughs> but I was just like, no, this is a moment for those of us that are just your typical american white guy i mean he's british but for us to just kind of sit back and let this cultural moment right happen exist and it's like yeah we we've been around for a while and like it was truly just an impactful thing to sit back and just be like i can't fathom like finally having your culture represented on the big screen in a big way yeah and then for it to, you know, spawn a role for you to be yeah. able to portray the first Ethiopian character right. on television. I mean, that's got to, in a way, just be a mind fuck. On a sitcom. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, seriously, because there's something about um, the pride and of, of seeing someone who represents your culture on screen. Yeah. And we've not had that chance uh, many times. I mean, as a Dutch guy and as an African guy. Um so that's why that movie meant a lot, I think, to a lot of people just to be like, hey, something positive about our heritage, something heroic about our heritage. Um, and even though it's, it's a comic book movie, <laughs> yeah. it took that to, to, to be like, hey, there's something beautiful in this kind of like the world exists, uh, you know, where there's a bunch of people who are from different races and, and they're the consumers of TV products. They're the consumers. They want their... their they want to be represented. They want to see and recognize their stories on TV. And I think that moment when that penny dropped for Hollywood, they were like, oh, wait a minute. Um, this works. Suddenly their eyes opened to the fact that, yeah, the people paying for movie tickets, the people paying for Hulu, Netflix, whatever, streaming services, people watching TV are also diverse and come from different backgrounds and stories. And when you do give them stories that they can recognize and go along with, they will be gladly, uh, they will gladly pay money yeah. to watch those stories. And I think when that happened, yeah, that whole shift happened in casting and authentic casting. And, 
Yeah, I mean, when the Ethiopian community found out I was playing an Ethiopian character, the first Ethiopian character on a sitcom, I don't know if, if I'm the first Ethiopian character on TV. I have to Google that. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but on, on, a, on a But sitcom. on an American sitcom. Um, then everyone was like from the Ethiopian community, like the pride that followed. Like in one day, I got like 2,000 new Instagram followers. <laughs> and it was just like people were just so like proud and singing praises of like, hey, thanks for representing the culture. And, you know, um, it was just a beautiful feeling to feel that from different people and communities just to be like, hey, we're seen. You know, there's yeah. something nice about that. Uh, so it was it was an honor all the way. Yeah. Yeah. How, how, how did your family feel? I mean, as you're kind of going through this whole experience mm. and you're you're going through the ups and downs of the autoimmune disease, you can't work. Yeah. Was at any point in your family like, are you sure this is really oh, the, absolutely. the career path you want to do? Absolutely, because <laughs> there's nothing worse than having done really well back in your country and then moving to a new country and starting from scratch and things are not working out. Yeah. <laughs> and your family, their first thought is go back home. Yeah. Come back home, work here because you had stability here. You had a good thing here. You know, they were concerned, which every family is supposed to be and do. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was good. Um, but they they knew how much this meant to me and they knew how much I believed in it. Ever since I was a kid, I, I was like, I'm going to work with Steven Spielberg or whatever. Because <laughs> my dad got me this CD-ROM when I was 12 years old called Steven Spielberg's Director's Chair. Oh, cool. It's a CD-ROM where he got to make a movie with Steven Spielberg on the Universal Studios lot. Oh, that is incredible. With Quentin Tarantino and Jennifer Aniston as the actors and Penn and, t- <laughs> and, and, Penn and Teller, the magicians, as the as the bad guys. And you got to shoot a movie and edit a movie and, and do post-production on a movie with Steven Spielberg on the Universal lot. So Weird casting, but... <laughs> no, I know. I know, but there's footage out there on YouTube. If you just Google director's chair, Steven Spielberg, Quentin Tarantino, you'll see him act in this. And... Uh, that movie really opened my eyes to like, hey, I want to work in, in the movie business. So I, I, ever since I was a kid, my family knew this is what I, what I wanted. This was my passion. So I was very lucky that they supported me because a lot of families don't uh, support people who choose their passion, unfortunately. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, they supported me. They believed in me. So, uh, of course, sometimes I had to lean on them for a little bit of help. You know, yeah. like, hey, man, can you help me out with rent this month? Because it's not working (laughs) (laughs) you know and 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 i'm so glad i have their support because it means everything to me but yeah there was genuine concern like is this really what you want to do um but those are the moments where you really have to face yourself and be like what else do i want to do with my life and if the answer is this i just want to be an actor and Mm -hmm. comedian and do the best i can then yeah then you know you're meant to be here and something will come to open the door for you yeah i mean we've said it a a million times on here and uh, one of my friends, Matt Bellows, who's he's on a bunch of different shows. Mm. Like I lose track of how many shows he's on now, uh, with guest starring roles. Yeah, but particularly when he was on the podcast, we had talked kind of heavily about yeah. If you picture yourself doing something else, go do that. Yeah, because yeah, this is <laughs> no. This demands your whole your everything, and yeah. and it's a huge sacrifice. Um, but if you know it's your passion and a hundred percent, this is what you want to do with your life. Yeah, stick with yeah. it stick with it <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that, that steven spielberg influence i mean working on the universal lot for one kind of had to be crazy especially as you go past oh like amblin God. pictures right there day one you know just driving past amblin and going up the studio lot and then seeing some of the backdrops they used in the video mm-hmm. game yeah was mind-blowing uh, here i was a kid on a windows 98 computer <laughs> gateway you know playing on a cd-rom steven spielberg thing in ethiopia and now here in America playing an Ethiopian character on a, on an NBC sitcom. Right. It was just mind-blowing to see how how 
how life can work sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Did you sit there and tell people I made a movie right there before? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Steven Spielberg and I worked right there on, uh, with Quentin Tarantino. Know his name? Yeah, Quentin Tarantino, Jennifer Aniston. You might know them. <laughs> worked on them over here. Yeah. <laughs> Directed them. <laughs> No, it was crazy. It's great. I always get a little envious of hearing of hearing people whose family still was kind of like, yeah, go for it. Because, mm. I mean, when I was probably about, I mean, we're only, I believe, a couple of years apart. And mm. when I was around that same age, I was determined that I was going to be in the next Jurassic Park movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I had written a letter to Steven Spielberg. Oh. <laughs> and my dad intercepted the letter. But wrote me back as if he was Steven oh. Spielberg because my dad, my dad has a good sense of humor, and more and more and more, like I look at like as I've been going through, my wife have been and I have been transferring all of our uh, boxes to bins. Oh yeah, and I keep finding like books where it's like these were my joke books and stuff as a kid, right? And I'm like, how did you guys not think this is the direction I was going? Like. <laughs> Yeah, this is what I wanted to do with my life. Hello. But my dad's always had a good sense of humor and wrote me back this letter. That, okay, well, there's a casting, and but you have to attend in a loincloth because oh. it's for a caveman role. <laughs> and they were thinking that I would be like, oh, I'm not going to go. Like, it was going to be at a mall. And they're like, <laughs> I had, oh, no. I, I, my, my dad sends this letter, and they tell me that it's there. And my parents are like, oh, we're going to pull one over yeah, on yeah, him. Yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. My dad's like, well, do you know what a loincloth is? <laughs> And like explained to him, I was like, "Yeah, cool. Like I'm, I'm good. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. Let's go. So, so when's, when's the audition? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's go. They're like, so you're just gonna go to the mall in a loincloth. Loin I'm like, yeah. What <laughs> part of this aren't you getting? Oh let's God. go. His and face must have been like, shit. What do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they also kind of pushed me away from it. I mean, mm. even when I was, I, I remember being like, probably 11, 12 years old. And I don't know if in Ethiopia, did you guys have erector sets? What are those? So, which uh, every time I think about it, I'm like, it's really kind of a phallic and erotic name. <laughs> oh my, yeah, that's what I was about to ask. Okay, <laughs> was, go on. <laughs> it was the it was kind of like uh, uh, Tinker Toys, but like a little bit uh, higher grade, where it was like metal, mm. and you could like build cars and stuff out of these oh. like little pieces of metal and come with screws and tie like, oh. and you could just buy these bigger and bigger sets. Yeah, um, and it was just you know meant for you to be able to kind of build things. And I was reading the second Jurassic Park book, and I was like, fuck it, I'm going to make the movie. <laughs> and so like, I started building, like, the Jurassic Park cars. Oh, and like, wow. So, like, I was already thinking, like, yeah. you know, yeah, I, I, I can make a movie. I'll why, do it myself. Why yeah. not? Yeah. Like, and so it's like, that was always in my process. But then people were always like, no, go down, like, oh. go to business school. Yeah. And so it took me years before I was finally just like, no, I don't like business no, school. No, like, no, I'm I'm going. Yeah. So it's like I feel like I got a late start to everything. Yeah, because I constantly had people that were just like that pushing it away and yeah. like no, 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 don't 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 pay attention to that stuff. But wow. every time in the back of my brain, I was like, I don't see myself working no. in some office. Like crunching yeah. the nine to five and being like, Phillips, did you get the report? Like, yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> seriously. And I really wish, you know, I mean, obviously, I think parents, when they do that, it's out of concern. They want their yeah. kids to have a good yeah, life. Yeah, it absolutely is. But if you if you know that that's their passion, just, you know, be like, All right, give it a chance, you know? Yeah. Because um, like you say, that, that feeling will keep coming back inside and be like, no, I want to do this. Right. This is not what I want to do. I want to do this. And, and so good on you for following that. Because, I mean, I tried keeping an office job and I, I survived two weeks. Yeah. And I quit because I was like, I cannot do this. It was a receptionist job in an aluminum factory. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, I'm a creative person. I cannot sit behind a desk and do this. 
So I knew immediately, like, no, I belong in the arts, and I was lucky enough to mm-hmm. have parents who do that. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of immigrant parents or uh, African parents or you know anybody who's got parents who grew up abroad, they want their kids to do the safe things, you know, be a pilot, yeah. be a lawyer, be a doctor, whatever, um, business, <laughs> business yeah. school. And it's a shame because uh, there's a lot of people who who love creativity and want to be creative. And, and I think really just give them a chance to explore what it is. And then when you, for example, move to L.A., you'll know for sure if it's what you want to do. Yeah, or not, absolutely. You know, because there's a big mirror and you'll face it and you'll be like, no, actually, I'm going to go back to business school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is what the city will do for you. So yeah, it's like my, my parents just came to town a couple months ago and it's mm. the first time they've come since we've been here for a few years now. And yeah. It's like they come into our apartment and they're like, oh, like, well, yeah, I hope you guys get a bigger place soon. We're like, yeah, so do we. But like, it's yeah, I know, but this is the reality of, yeah, this, of this the Yeah, this is city. what it is at the moment. Yeah. Like, this is just, this, this is what you do. Yeah, like, exactly. It's, it's part of the process. Yeah. Like, and to be looking at, like, as we're carefully, like, looking at the housing market and stuff and weighing our options. And it's, it's funny to be like, yeah, we looked at this house. It was this much. And my parents were like, that's like a good size apartment out here yeah, exactly. and you're gonna pay how much for it yeah. as a house and it's like i know yeah that's just part of that's it like la man yeah, yeah. Like, you, you just can't think of it in no. that way it's you can't like, be like this is what the city is this is yeah. the reality of the city yeah. it's like yeah is my apartment like the size of what my bedroom was <laughs> yeah. in my apartment in salt lake right. yeah it is but <laughs> i know i know but i also had nothing i could do no. i kind of reached what i could yeah what i wanted to be able to do yeah so it was like, yeah, no, it's a, it's a sacrifice that it's you make. It's a sacrifice, but you know, at the end of the day, you focus on what brings you joy. Yeah, and if it's exactly. like if it's the career, if it's like the the passion, then you just do that, and I think yeah. yeah, things things pan out. Yeah, you you just can't focus on like we were saying earlier. You can't focus on those little negative things. No. You just have to f- look at what you want, and yeah. that's what you have to absolutely. You have to go and I hope I hope people see uh, me as an example of hey, okay, if he was able to do it, I can do it too. Yeah. You know, so I really hope. I really hope that's what they they take away from this, um, because yeah, I mean to go from zero to be being a series regular on a on a sitcom is an NBC sitcom at that. I mean, like, it's yeah. an immense journey, and and uh, it's it's just it's it's mind blowing what the city can do within six months. Your whole life can change, right? You know, so just keep at it. <laughs> <laughs> just keep at it. So so tell me more about the casting process and yeah. getting going on Sunnyside. Sure. So uh, pilot season is between February and April kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I got the audition with Allison Jones, like I told you. And so I walked in and uh, I, I told her I, I'm a huge fan. I did my audition and she was nice enough to tell me that I, I got a call back for the producer session the next week. So uh, that's round two. You go in, you meet the producers and you do the same audition again. Uh, but I was lucky enough again that Allison Jones was there and she really loved my story. So before I did my audition, she told the producers, hey, so this guy's got an interesting story. So I was able to tell them my story. So they got a good image of who I was mm-hmm. growing up in Ethiopia, being in Holland, working in Holland and moving here. So then after that, I did my scene, but they saw it in a completely different way because they're like, oh, now we know who this guy is. Yeah. So uh, you get and, the And which producers were in the room? So Mike Schur was there. Which was like, oh my god! Yeah, he's here, the man who created <laughs> the office and the good place and Parks and Rec, uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Um, so he was there with with the with his guys who he created the shows with. So with uh, Matt Murray, who was the creator of this mm-hmm. show, Sunnyside, 
and with uh, you know David Miner and and Morgan Sackett. So those are the guys who were who've worked with Mike Schur on these other shows, like right. The Good Place, and all those little things. So a lot of credits in the room. Yeah. <laughs> and here I was doing my scene with them, and and they were really sweet, really nice. And uh, that was round two. And you're like, okay, we'll see if they call me back for what would then be round three. And so I get a call from a manager. They're like, yeah, you're moving on to the next step, which is a screen test with uh, Cal Penn. So I'm like, great. So what's that? what happens? He's like, well, basically, it's the same producers and Cal Penn, and they just put you on tape for the network. So some other studios call it the network test where mm -hmm. you actually do the audition in front of a bunch of bunch of executives executives which i've heard is a nightmare scenario because yeah you've got a bunch of guys in suits that don't guys laugh. in suits who don't <laughs> laugh will just watch you do your audition and, and see how tough-skinned you are uh but luckily nbc just does the screen test with a small group of people and then they send the video around to executives to decide so I show up and uh, Mike Schur is there again and everyone's there and Cal Penn's there, which was really great because I, I loved Cal Penn and, you know, the namesake and, and, and yeah. Harold and Kumar movies, obviously. Um, so he was really sweet. He was really nice. He's like, hey, I'm Cal, whatever. So uh, we do the scene together and um, Cal, you know, it, normally it's supposed to be that's it and you leave. Mm -hmm. But Cal was like, oh, I don't feel I don't feel good about that because I, I don't feel my acting was good enough. Can we do it again? Because I want to make you look good. I was like, heck yeah, great. And a second chance, <laughs> yeah. a second chance. And then I asked Mike Schur for like any direction, like anything you guys want to see different. And he's like, yeah, for this line, just say it this way kind of thing. So I got a whole second chance to to do the audition again with Cal Penn. And uh, at the end of it, I added a button, like I improvised something and the whole room started laughing. So I was really, I felt really good about that screen test because that's supposed to be the last round mm -hmm. before you find out whether you got it or not. Yeah, And it's a bit intimidating because... Uh, basically, it's down to you and maybe two other guys for your part. Um, and normally, you have to wait in this waiting room, you know, with one another as you're going through <laughs> your contract. Right. Making sure, like, okay, this is how much you're going to earn per episode, and this is what you think, all these rules and regulations. But luckily, I showed up, and I was the first one to be called into the room without having to sit down in this intimidating sweat box with my competition. So I didn't even see who my competition mm -hmm. was. Which was which helped me a lot, I think, because I was like, "Hey, I'm here. I'm the first one up. Yeah, sure. Did it. Did, did the scene. Haha. -ha, everyone's laughing. Great. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I gave a hug to Allison. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And I walked out, and that's when I saw the waiting room with the other two actors who were up for the same part. And I was like, oh, "Okay, good luck, guys. You know, kind of thing. I was like, <laughs> right. I'm so glad I didn't have to sit in that room, listening to someone else audition and the mm. laughter happening. And you're like, shit. What am I? <laughs> what are right, he's doing right. so well? What about me? So you're supposed to find out the next day if you got the part or not. They call you regardless. The whole day goes by, no phone call, no nothing, Ugh. no email. I'm like, no, I didn't get it because it was 8 p.m. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I told my wife, here, let's go get some hot wings. That's my comfort food. <laughs> <laughs> so get some hot wings, you know, just whatever, screw this day. So we're driving, and then I see my agent is calling me, and I'm like, oh, no, this, this can be good news or bad news, you know. And I pick up, and he goes, Samba, hey. <sighs> <laughs> he goes congratulations i'm like what so i had to pull over because it was just mayhem yeah. of screaming and crying and disbelief that they chose me you know for my first time you know doing a tv show audition like that and going that far and with these amazing creators behind it um and that was amazing you know hey you got the job great 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 and you think you're there but there's still a few other hoops to go because yeah you booked the job but then there's the table read in front of the studio 
And there's oh, yeah. many stories where actors have been replaced mm-hmm. at the table read. Someone, like, basically what a table read is is another audition. Yeah. So we show up at the table read, this huge table on the top floor of this dark black building on the NBC lot. Uh, all it, the it, it's an ominous building. It's to an say ominous the least. building. It's like it's like you know. Trust me, it's it's the Death Star. It's it's like you know, it's right up there, and it's just everyone's around the table. And all there's a giant fucking minion looking at you from across <laughs> yeah, the street. Yeah, exactly. Just like hi, you're gonna fail. Uh, so so there's all the executives and presidents around the table, and around and are behind you all around the room are all these other people. You don't know who they are, what they're doing. They're just taking notes, and they're watching you. So you feel like, oh, my God, like every move I make, like they're noting it down. Like, oh, he has a weird twitch in his eye when he says this line kind of thing. So we do the table read and then actors are supposed to leave and the rest of the people talk. (laughs) 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 And you're like, well, this is it. I could just get replaced right now. Um, Luckily, they didn't replace anybody. They liked the cast. They just had notes on the script of the pilot episode. Great. So we start shooting. And uh, the first day, I'm I'm first up. I'm doing the scene for my audition with Cal Penn in the taxi cab. And it's just me and Cal, and it's the first day of shooting. Everyone's kind of new, getting used to one another. And there's all these executives from NBC watching the monitor, watching me act with Cal. And I'm like, again, here we go. I could get replaced right mm-hmm. now, you know? <laughs> so, again, you have to be on the top of your game. Do the scene. Works out great. It's fine. So we shoot the pilot for that whole week. And every day there's someone from NBC watching, making sure we're doing the right thing. And finally, you take the photo for what will then be the poster of the show if it gets picked up. And they do this individually. Oh, so all of so that poster, you guys are all just photoshopped. Whenever in? you see a group photo for a poster, it's photoshopped. Everyone's take a photo is taken individually, and they just mash it together. This is so that in case they want to replace you, it's easy to take a gotcha. photo of somebody else and put him in the group instead of you. So that was like, oh my god, this that is brutal, is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I thought I knew so much of the inside. No, baseball. so this is new for me. So we took all our photos individually, you know, pretending to be in the group shot. Like, hey, lean on his shoulder like this. Pretend you're leaning on this guy. Pretend there's someone in front of you. Like, oh, just all. These so they poses. already have it at least blocked out because I a mean, a little bit. Otherwise, like. If you're leaning on Cal, yeah. but then they put Moses in there, yeah, like, exactly. you're leaning in the air. Oh, they made me shorter. <laughs> they made me shorter in the billboard poster. Oh, really? Yeah, because I'm, I'm I'm the tallest cast member. Yeah. And just to kind of fit, <laughs> they just shrunk <laughs> me down a little bit. So I'm like, hey, I'm not that short, but that's that's just so I can <laughs> Where fit. Where are my it. knees? I know, seriously. <laughs> so you do that, and then the pilot is edited, and then they test the pilot on an audience. Basically what it is, they invite 100 people into some room somewhere in Las Vegas or something. 50 men, 50 women, and they all have a dial mm-hmm. in front of them as they're watching the pilot. And if they turn it to the left, it's like, I don't like what I'm seeing. It can be anything. Yeah. Like, like I don't like cats. Or, oh, this guy's mustache is weird. And if it's a good thing, oh, I like this, they turn it to the right. So, oh, that, that building's a nice color. It's so subjective. It's like right. so, like, whatever their flavor and taste is. And that's how pilots are tested by people, random strangers being paid 50 bucks to sit in a room, watch a show. And if they're in a bad mood, they'll just like a couple of people turn the dial to the left immediately, like blue, and left it on there during the whole pilot. Like somebody said, because it was about immigrants and they did not like immigrants. Oh, jeez. And then some other people. So so that's how (laughs) pilots get tested. And so you hope that your pilot is tested well and you hope that people like your character because there are some times where the pilot tests well, but people don't like your character. And that's where you get replaced. So the whole time you're just on pins and needles because yeah. everything feels so temporary. Then uh, 
We Which found- just explains, I mean, from people that don't know how many pilots get picked up in a, oh. just within pilot season, yeah. that you will never even hear of. No way. Ever. I mean, I know they shot at least 20 yeah. NBC, and they picked up five or yeah. six, you know? And it's- what, two or three have aired? Yeah. <laughs> like something yeah. like that. Yeah, seriously. So so it's it's... It's such a lottery game. It's yeah. just like, uh, well, I'm in, I'm in something, and I'm getting paid for the pilot at least. But you really just want to be part of a TV show. So after that whole test and the hoops, the network executives get together, discuss which pilot yes, which pilot no, and then it's announced at the upfronts in New York in May. And we found out we got picked up, and we were so excited, so happy, exuberant. You know, hey, we got picked up. Oh, are we all in it? Yeah, no one's getting replaced. Yay! <laughs> awesome. So the poster's awesome. good. The poster's good. <laughs> awesome. Okay, you shrunk me. It's fine. It's fine. I can deal with that. And then uh, the game starts, you know, like off you're off to the races in August and you start filming the season. And it's so surreal to see billboards of yourself. Right. I've never had that. Or see yourself on a bus. Uh, we had we had our billboard on, on Times Square in New York. Right. And the subways and people taking photos in front of it, telling us about it. It was just so weird to experience the exposure you get. Um and then, yeah, you're filming. So every day is like a hard schedule because we film one episode a week. And the first order was for 10 episodes. So for 10 weeks, you're filming every week, Monday to Friday, uh, five days a week uh, to film one episode. And your days are like from 5 a.m., 6 a.m. to 5 p.m., 6 p.m. So long days and uh, your weekends are used for preparing for the next episode, learning your lines, breaking down script, etc. So you're on a s- on a loop. You're just ten weeks of just hard work, no break. Social life is on zero. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And and then uh, by the time it started airing on TV, we had already filmed six episodes. So uh, we were feeling good. We were in, a, you know, like okay, here we go, six episodes in. It's airing on TV, and uh, it aired on TV, and it didn't do so great with the numbers because a lot of people were just like, oh, what is this show? Like it's it takes time for people to find a show, right? Um, and, and so the people who did watch it really enjoyed it and liked it and, and started, you know, that's when you get followers on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I got verified on Instagram, which was like, apparently it's a big, big deal. Yeah. (laughs) I got congratulations from friends like, Hey, you're verified on Instagram. You got the blue check. You got the blue check mark. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I guess that's a good thing. I don't know. (laughs) So there's all these things that happen to you. Um, you get invited to like pre-Emmy parties mm-hmm. from NBC and right. everyone's there. Freaking Larry David was there. You know, uh, all these uh, people from uh, This Is Us, the Brooklyn Nine-Nine cast, you know, Mike Schur is there. It's just it's so surreal. Like, Ted Danson is there. Everyone's there. And you're like, these are, <laughs> right. could, dare I say it, colleagues? You know, these are people I'm going to see now that I'm in this NBC right. family thing. So it's so weird that your your life changes drastically. Uh, I mean, I'm still living in my studio apartment (laughs) in Las Vegas, but the rest of your like life, your like your career, your resume, you just know that this show, regardless of how it does, is like putting me in in, in and like I can say now I I was a series regular on a show Mm -hmm. that just gives you different opportunities, I think, after a while. So it changes that contract when you go back into that little (laughs) that little sweat box. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So anyway, uh, Sunnyside aired, uh, and it didn't air to great live TV numbers because not many people watch live TV. Because it's 2019. Thank you so much. <laughs> and most of our audience was online. And so NBC saw that uh, we had the number three top like uh, educated audiences, number four top like wealthiest audiences. Like A lot of people were watching our show mm-hmm. on Hulu 
or on the NBC website, NBC.com, yeah. NBC app. I'll, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm one of the Hulu viewers. Hey, that's, I, I, I mean, don't have regular no, TV. No, like so <laughs> many people anyway, people who would like our show, so millennials and yeah. everybody who's who's you know, you know born in the 80s and 90s, uh, they don't watch TV anymore. You know, yeah. Um, so basically, people watch TV are fifty and over, and and our target audience was just you know people my age, yeah, thirty six and and above and below all that. So, um, NBC decided after three episodes, like, uh, okay, hold on, hold on, uh, we'll put you guys online, yeah, because that's where your majority of your audience is, and it's gonna help us just you know, um, be able to put Will and Grace in your place. Which everyone was like, wait a minute, you're taking the most diverse TV show off the air to, to put, put in four white people, <laughs> to put in Will and Grace, yeah. Um, but they explained that no, listen, we still believe in the show. That's why we're giving it an eleventh episode order. Mm. So they ordered an eleventh episode. So we we filmed the eleventh episode, and so now it's all online, and people are watching the show online. And unfortunately, when that happened, when they moved us online, a lot of the media was like, "Oh, uh, Sunnyside is canceled and canceled." So many people were so quick to yell, "Cancel!" Yeah, cancel is when you cancel a show. Yeah, it's, it's done. It's done. over. We are online, and every Thursday we drop a new episode on Hulu or on NBC.com. Uh, and so we are still an airing show. It's just the way people watch TV has changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a streaming show, which is perfectly fine. So uh, today episode is Thursday. Episode 8 just dropped yeah. today. Um, and we have three more to go till 11, till December 5th. And so we, of course, encourage people to watch the show online because a lot of people are like, where did it go? It was on TV. Where did it go now? No, it's online. This is like the future, guys. Just yeah. if you've not noticed, people are streaming. So, so if you got the Disney Plus bundle, <laughs> you now have Hulu. Boom. And you can watch Sunnyside. You can watch Sunnyside. <laughs> and you can binge watch, you know. So uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. And obviously, um, uh, you know, uh, we we are so proud to be one of the most diverse TV shows uh, out there, and it's about immigration, which is mm-hmm. a hot topic right now. Yeah, and it puts us in a positive light. It's about immigrants trying to become American citizens, and it's got you know amazing comedians like Joel Kim Booster and Moses Storm, and you know an amazing cast like Diana uh, Maria Riva, who was in Dead to Me and, and a bunch of other shows. Um, it's just a fascinating, diverse cast of funny people, and uh, with a good message at the end of the yeah. day. So. I encourage people to check it out, obviously, and uh, we'll see what happens to the future of it. You know, NBC is getting their streaming service in the April with Peacock, and Hulu is broadening their their thing. So um, it was really nice that Hulu decided to keep airing our show mm-hmm. because most shows, when they don't air on TV anymore, they don't air on Hulu either. Right. But Hulu was like, no, we like this show. We're going to keep airing it. And I, I think there's, there's becoming an interesting dynamic with mm-hmm. that, too, because Literally just the other day, I don't know if you saw this, ABC had announced that they are no longer going to be looking yeah. at live TV numbers. Yeah, because that's that such an, an old, yeah. outdated system, this Nielsen rating thing. It was from the 50s or yeah. 60s. Do, do you know how they do it now? My, no. my parents b- became a Nielsen house, because, and they were excited. They were really <laughs> excited. They don't even do like a box anymore. Really? They call them and take a survey. If they're watching TV shows or not? Yeah. Like kind of thing. And, oh, and no. it's more like, did you watch? Like, and so my parents were kind of annoyed by it and i was just they were like that's not what it's supposed to be no like it it needs to because there were it was actually right as you guys were getting ready to premiere and yeah. i was just like just leave it on nbc yeah. <laughs> i was like i i you know I, i've you know known some of these comics for a while just let it <laughs> let, it let it play out it's a mike sure show yeah. like <laughs> yeah no thanks for that but it's such an outdated system the way networks measure how many people are watching a show 
it doesn't work anymore because no. people watch shows differently now. People prefer to binge watch. They prefer to wait, wait until the season's done and then watch a show. No one watches live TV anymore. No one wants to wait a week mm-hmm. for the next episode. Yes, if it's Game of Thrones, sure. Or no The Mandalorian. Oh, The Mandalorian. <laughs> there you go. But no one wants to wi- wait a week to watch a TV show. So the way t- people are watching TV is is changing. And now I'm glad ABC realized, yeah. wait, these numbers mean nothing now. Part of me thinks it because w- I, I thought it was ironic they announced that the same day that Disney Plus dropped. Yeah. Uh, I was like, yeah, you guys over at Disney are just yeah. swinging the giant dick around they today. They're like, they're like <laughs> we can do whatever we want. We own everything. <laughs> um, so it's, it's just fascinating to have experienced being on TV, being pulled from TV, but being online. And now, like, hey, okay, we're having our first season. Yeah. We're doing okay. We'll see if it gets picked up for season two. Um, it's just fascinating to have had that roller coaster ride as a series regular mm-hmm. for the first TV show I've yeah. ever done. So, yeah, it's been quite a journey. I, I have faith that it'll, that it'll get picked up. I, I think NBC is starting to come around to it. I mean, you look at AP Bio. Oh, yeah. That I think one of the funniest, most underrated shows out there. Mm. And, you know, they initially canceled it. Yeah. And people were like, what the fuck are you doing? It's the top-rated yeah. streaming show. Right. Like, it was crushing Hulu's numbers. Yeah. And then I liked that NBC came back and was like, okay, so we're... We're buying season two on Peacock. Yeah, we're, we're, we're <laughs> going we're gonna, to we're gonna renew it and yeah. put it on Peacock. And Well, it's so funny because, you know, uh, a lot of people don't know, for example, Seinfeld had a very terrible first season. First couple seasons. Yeah. Friends, bad first season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Parks and Rec, you know, every every season Good they were season like, and gonna, a half gonna be, people yeah, going to be canceled. Every season they're worried about being canceled. All these shows that eventually took off, yeah, ha- had to be given the chance to have their first season because a show doesn't find its feet no. within the first season. A show kind of finds its balance after like four episodes, five episodes in, but a first season is just like kind of warming up the like, okay, what can we actually do with this show? Right. And after that, that's when things like actually click and fall into place and become so much more interesting. So uh, people should be more patient, I think with TV yeah. shows, generally speaking. I, I always, I, and I've stated this a million times to people. I will never ever judge a show by its pilot. You can't because oh, no. a pilot, the writer, especially in a, in a half hour sitcom which is really a 20 minute <laughs> sitcom yeah you are trying to fit in so much of this is the story yeah. these are the characters this is where it's based the who what when where why all of that into 20 minutes no way. and they still have to make you laugh no way it's it's so it's hard. a recipe for a disaster no it, and so to even get that made <laughs> yeah it's just so unnatural yeah you should see a pilot as a business card like exactly. hey this is what we're planning on doing not like, oh, I don't like this show because the pilot sucked. No, mm-hmm. if you watch pilots back from every show that you loved, they are terrible. Yeah. I watched the pilot of Family Guy the other day. I was like, what the hell am yeah. I watching? Even the Simpsons pilot is Oh, the Simpsons so... pilot. I mean, that was coming off of basically sketches from the Tracy Ullman show. that <laughs> And the voice of Homer is completely yeah. different. It's like, what is he doing? What's happening? So you can't base a show off a pilot alone. Give it always three, four episodes mm-hmm. and then make a decision. Yeah, and you know? it... There, there have been shows even this this season mm. that I was like I like the cast I don't know how on board I am with the premise yeah but I'm gonna give it a second uh, right one of your fellow NBC shows that just uh, launched from you guys at Perfect Harmony right it was one that I was like I don't know about this <laughs> but I love Bradley Whitford yeah I'm a fan of Anna Camp like yeah I'm gonna give this a second you have to and it's like yeah you know after the pilot I was kind of like I don't know but because I don't judge it 
anything by a pilot. And now, like, yeah, I'm really enjoying the cast dynamic. There's a lot of, like, solid jokes. I think it was Mike Sure that I had even heard say, you know, if he reads a pilot or somebody's original script and, you know, something makes him laugh, give it a chance. Like, let it see where it's going to go. Absolutely, absolutely. Because it takes time for the cast to get to know one another. Like, it's only within four or five episodes that finally we knew what each other's Mm -hmm. part was. And we knew like how to set one another up for a joke. Yeah, because everyone you find out, oh, this is their humor. This is what they like. This is what will help them mm-hmm. make this line funny or whatever. It takes time, and it takes an editor time to re- to realize how to cut some of those scenes yes. together, because yeah, they've got to learn how you guys react. They have to, to each learn, other. yeah, and they, they have to like, find the tone of the show and everything. Yeah. So, so it takes it takes a good four or five episodes at least, absolutely. To, let that get going absolutely and yeah everybody needs to learn to hey pump the brakes like, yeah like give a show a chance and and also i, I really wish executives had much more patience unfortunately mm-hmm. everything's advertising driven and so yeah. like oh it's not doing well for our advertisers so get out of here no be a be a studio that dares <laughs> give a show a chance to to find its feet you know because if you don't you'll never get to see samba as danny zuko <laughs> there we go <laughs> halloween episode Sunnyside. Best Danny Zuko ever. <laughs> I but, I mean, the, sh- the show has been fantastic. It, it's Thank been you. something that, I mean, I was on board with from day one because I know Moses a little. I've yeah. been a huge fan of Cal Penn. Yeah. Somebody says, Mike Schur, you know, is a producer. And I'm like, cool, I'm in. Yeah. And so it's like I was on board to begin with. Awesome. And, I mean, you, your guys' chemistry, especially now, a few episodes in you guys do know each other yeah and then. it is just so goddamn funny <laughs> and like i mean the walter mondale <laughs> musical oh my episode God, yeah my wife and i were in tears during parts of that because oh it was just God. so funny <laughs> Thank you. the way that it just everything flowed into that episode thank you yeah i mean it, it's been an excellent show and yeah i i have a lot of faith that good things Already come for you guys, especially with the so. changing dynamics. Thank so. you, thank you. We're happy to put it out there. A lot of creative, funny people are working on this show, and it, it takes a village to make it. And we're so proud that we're able to put something out there that, yes, makes people laugh, but also gives a message like, hey, immigrants are cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, we want to be in this country, we want to belong, and do it the legal way. They're and not the scary people your grandparents no, think they are. No, and at the end of the day, it's about a group <laughs> of friends you're seeing trying to make their dreams come true. And there's nothing be- more beautiful than seeing people's dreams and aspirations and at the same time if they can make you laugh yeah that's that's fun that's a fun show so i appreciate you watching and i encourage other people to check it out you know hulu and uh, nbc.com are always about numbers at the end of the day like how many people are watching so you know tune in uh we still have three more episodes to go and then you can binge watch all of them <laughs> all 11 yeah yeah and so. then go back through and binge watch them again and yeah bump, the, and bump those numbers <laughs> up <laughs> there you go keep binge watching yeah thanksgiving's in two weeks you yeah. want to you want to ditch your family there's absolutely our thanksgiving episode airs today and then next week, our episode is about DACA, uh, which is a hot topic right now, yeah. obviously, because of, of the protests in front of the Supreme Court. And um, one of our characters is is DACA. Mm-hmm. Uh, he happens to be a white guy <laughs> <laughs> from Moldova, yeah. played by Moses played Storm. Moses. <laughs> uh, and, and he's DACA. So that episode is all about him dealing with that aspect of it. And yeah. so, so yeah, these, these next coming episodes are, are juicy. So I hope, I hope you check yeah, it out. Yeah, the, the social satire on them, is perfect and if there's if there's one thing i've learned as a writer uh it, c- it comes again from from something that i've learned from mike sure as well as hassan minaj <laughs> where mike i mean you look at the good place and i mean the good place is a show about moral ethics mm. you know dressed as a comedy yeah whereas sunny side i mean it's not as veld as the good place but 
I mean, it's a show about immigration yeah. disguised as a comedy. Yeah. And, and there's so many things that are so important. And Hassan Minaj, uh, when he was on Dak Shepard's podcast, yeah. uh, he said, if you go into a writer's room hmm. and you know immediately what your take is, hmm. you'll crush any writer's room. Ah, oh, I see. And so now I look for that in certain shows, yeah. especially when it's a social satire. Yeah. Is do they know what their take is? Right. And it's it's made it when when I sit down and write, if I'm writing a spec or I'm writing an original mm-hmm. that I'm going, Okay, what's the take? Yeah. What what is the purpose of doing this? Right. And I think as we'd mentioned so much earlier, you know, when you're going through and deciding, you know, is this my career? You know, yeah. why am I doing this when the city is ripping me apart? Yeah. That's one of those things that I think when when you are getting ripped apart by the city and you have to sit back and go all right, what's my take? Why am I doing this? Right. Why am I? Yeah. Why am I letting the Los Angeles rip me apart? Yeah. What do I want to say? Right. And I love when I'm seeing shows like Sunnyside or like The Good Place and these shows that are like, "Hey, we have a message." Yeah. And we're going to deliver it one way or another. Yeah. And whether people want to say it's liberal snowflake tears or whatever they want to say, <laughs> it's the reality of it's just the reality what of we're this country focusing. and what we're this world yeah. we're living in. You know. Uh, you can't get away from the fact that this country exists because of immigrants and people come here because they want to be the best version of themselves. They yeah. don't mean this country harm. Like, I, I'm an immigrant. I had to be vetted to come to this country. I sacrificed a lot to come to this country because I believe in, in what it can offer me and what I can offer yeah. it. And so, no, uh, it's, that's nice to hear from you. And you just wanted um, to make us laugh. Like want to make you laugh. <laughs> want to make you laugh. And if uh, you were talking about The Mandalorian, right? Um, so there's a Star Wars game coming out on Friday. And I can say that I am an actor in in it. Oh. So that's fun. So uh, Jedi, the last, not the last Jedi. What am I saying? Uh, what's it called? Star Wars Jedi. I know what you're talking fallen about. Fallen Jedi. The, f- the Order. No. Uh, what the is it called? Order the, I'm, I'm going, order, I'm going order to Order of the Fallen Jedi. Oh, my God. They're going to fire me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the Order of the Fallen Jedi. <laughs> let's, let's see here. Ah. Uh, so far, I'm at the Order of the Phoenix. No. <laughs> no, hold on, hold on. Star Wars. Star Wars. Order of the Fallen Jedi. Yeah, you is got it, it right. Is it Order of the Fallen Jedi? Yeah. Star Wars. No, uh, Fallen Order. Jedi Star Wars fa- Jedi Fallen Jedi Order. Jedi Fallen Order. There I go. There, I had the right words in a different order. Yeah. Yeah. You had it, you had it all there. <laughs> yeah, Star Wars Jedi Star Fallen Wars Jedi Order. Jedi Fallen Order. That's just a mouthful to it, say. It, it like, is. It is. A, yeah, you, you said it in a more, in a more logical way of, of saying it. The Order of the Fallen it. Jedi. <laughs> I said it the, the, yeah, the Ian McKinnon way. Yeah, um, which is something we didn't even touch on. And I mean, we're wrapping up. Every, yeah, you do a lot of voiceover for video games. I do voiceover video video and motion capture for video games, which is so fun. And so I've been in a few. Uh, Star Wars coming out, obviously. And then. Battlefield Five, uh, Call of Duty, Modern Warfare. Just some small games. No, and of course, like yeah. Wolfenstein too. You know, it's just <laughs> so much fun to do voiceover and to be able to to play characters in, in a motion capture game. Yeah, I think that's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. to be part of the Star Wars universe in a way. Yeah, that's, as a Wookiee. That's which is really fun. yeah. So that's gonna be fun. I just put away my book on how to speak Wookiee. Oh, we okay. could have had a whole conversation <laughs> here. <laughs> oh my god, too bad. <laughs> Next time. No, but no, thanks so much. Uh, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hope you guys, you know, uh, check out Sunnyside and uh, stay in touch with us and uh, support the show. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll be around. <laughs> yes. Check us out on Hulu and NBC.com. Yeah, and where are, are anybody in America? Are, are they able to find your Dutch specials or are those only in Dutch? Oh, well, uh, you can find a few clips on YouTube. Okay. 
Um, you can find a few clips on YouTube and uh, on my website, sambashoot.com. But why would you want to put yourself through that? <laughs> through touch <laughs> comedy? Like, no. I have a few English stand-up comedy okay. clips up there. And I encourage people to watch those and not the Dutch one because why? <laughs> <laughs> why put yourself through that? Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll put a. L- I'll have a link. And of to course, uh, I post clips every time on Instagram, my yeah. Instagram page at Samba Shoot or Twitter. Um, yeah, try to show behind the scenes of Sunnyside and also just uh, my life here in LA. Yeah, to continuing this journey, and I hope people continue theirs as well. Yeah, and, be- and between yours and Joel's and Moses's and Cal's and everybody on the show's Instagrams, I feel like I've been behind the scenes this entire time. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you like, especially if you're a fan of the show, follow these guys because, yeah, you you guys do a good job capturing the behind the scenes. Oh, thank you. Thank so, you. but thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, no, Tim, it's been a pleasure coming man. down really here. It's, it's, yeah, it's, been, it's been great getting to know you. You've yeah. got an incredible story. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for doing this, and uh, you know, thanks for keeping inspiring people to to do their absolutely. Thing. Awesome. So thank you so much, and uh, yeah, everybody, go watch Sunnyside. Thanks, Tim. We'll see you.